everybody, skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. The season is here in Utah, and it is snowing, and I'm happy to have you joining us for yet another episode of Last Chair. And a big welcome to our friends Pixie and the Party Grass Boys, one of Utah's favorite bands. Watch for some new music coming out this winter. Let's give a big shout out to our friends at High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in Utah, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. Have a sip and toast to our last chair sponsor, High West. This week, we welcome back longtime episode sponsors, Cooper Wynn and Park City Peaks. For more than four decades, Cooper Wynn Property Management has been matching skiers to vacation rentals in Park City. Check out Cooper Wynn as you plan your trip to Utah at PCLodge.com. And welcome again to Park City Peaks, one of the greatest hotel values in Park City. You can check out Park City Peaks at ParkCityPeaks.com. Our guest in this episode of Last Chair has become one of the most passionate resort leaders in America, and he's just as comfortable running his chainsaw cutting ski runs as he is negotiating deals to acquire new resorts for his company, Mountain Capital Partners. You may not know James Coleman yet, but you will. Just hop over to his company website at mcp.com. There you will learn about the company mantra, we give people the freedom to ski. James grew up in the wide open spaces of Texas, as well as the surf off the Southern California beaches. Along the way, he discovered skiing as a teen, heading up north of Texas to New Mexico. He found skiing to be magical, committing himself to the sport and establishing a personal goal to own his own resort by the time he was 35. He did achieve that goal. That first resort ownership experience at Sipapu near Taos had its challenges, but he was able to more than double the skiable terrain. And as time went on, he expanded by acquiring more ski areas in New Mexico, Colorado, and Arizona. He then set his sights on Utah, picking up Brian Head in the southern part of the state, as well as Nordic Valley, a gem just outside of Ogden. In the past two years, he's expanded further with Willamette Pass in Oregon, Sandia Peak in New Mexico, and get this, last winter he acquired Valley Nevado outside of Santiago, Chile, where he has plans to truly transform the South American ski experience. But what really struck me about James Coleman is his genuine passion for skiing. He just loves to ski. And the only bigger joy for him is helping others to experience the same feeling that he has for his favorite sport. It's the freedom it gives him that he wants to share with everyone around him. It's the real deal. If you can find him up on the mountain at Brian Head or Nordic Valley, grab him for a few runs, but be prepared. He can really ski. So let's settle in for a fascinating interview with a resort company owner whose own bio describes him as a restless child of the West who loves nothing more than providing everyone with the freedom to ski. Let's join Mountain Capital Partners visionary James Coleman. James Coleman, thank you for joining us on uh, last year. Great to have you. Where are you coming from today? Well, thanks, Tom, for having me uh, on your show. I'm excited to do it. I'm actually in Durango today. That's where home base is. I'm here more than anywhere else, but travel all over the country and all over the world pretty frequently. So, 
we were talking before we got on the podcast. I know you've just acquired Mountain Capital Partners has just acquired Valley Nevada earlier this year. Actually, I would imagine you spent a lot of time down in uh, Chile this year. Yeah, three trips down to Chile, and the last one was mid August to mid September. You know, skiing just about every day. It was pretty fun, and it was hard to leave. <laughs> It really helps your day count each year, doesn't it, when you get down to South America? Well, James, we appreciate having you. I just have found your story to be fascinating, and I want to share it with our listeners here on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Can you give us a little bit about your background growing up? And first of all, how you initially found the sport of skiing? Yeah, kind of crazy compared to a lot of people are typically in the business. My parents weren't in it. Grew up in Southern California and Austin, Texas, more than anywhere and didn't start skiing until I was 15. My dad said, hey, it's time to go learn to ski. I was like, okay, that'll be cool. Like learning to ride a bike or whatever. And he found the closest place to Austin, Texas, a little hill called Cloudcroft, New Mexico, 550 miles away. And we drove out there and it was February and it was snowing the whole time and it was magical. And and the first hour or so that I was learning how felt pretty awkward. And after an hour or two, I started to get the hang of it. And by the end of the trip, I was just absolutely smitten. And instead of planning on moving back to Southern California and being a surf bum after high school, I was like, I'm going to the mountains. It just literally changed my life trajectory. To go back to those very first impressions you had, though, what were the feelings and what were the sensations that initially got you really motivated to be a skier? You know, it's it's kind of hard to describe at some level, you know, one way I describe it is, is flying without wings, I think, is, is a big sensation for me. It's just magical. The undulations in the terrain and, you know, I, I water skied a lot, too, back in the day. I still do some, you know, and just the variety of what you have versus just going back and forth across a wake. Not that that's not a lot of fun, especially if you're going fast. Uh, it, it's just so it's so unique. It's so special. Just the, you know, it's almost like there's six or seven different sports in skiing. If you're skiing groomers, it's very different than skiing bumps. It's very different than, than skiing powder through the woods. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's the coolest thing. <laughs> so you really, and you weren't exactly in the hotbeds of skiing, particularly when you lived in Texas, but you somehow found your way to keep getting to the slopes over the years. Yeah, it was challenging, especially as a kid who wanted to go snow skiing every day. And you know, we get in three trips a year, probably two bigger ones, Christmas and spring break, and maybe a, a few day trip in February or January uh, in between. So, you know, it was, there's definitely some frustration there. A lot of time going through my powder and skiing and skiing magazines and dreaming and, and all that about it. But, but yeah, so I understand or relate to those folks that are, you know, stuck in Texas, <laughs> can't go skiing here as much as they want. <laughs> No, that's for sure. Was there a point in time, as you think back, was there that point in time where you said to yourself, this is where I want to spend my career? You know, I think there were little thoughts of that pretty quickly. But then my senior year in high school was when I really locked down on that. You know, my dad said, hey, what are you, you going to do with your life? And, and I had a number of different ideas. And I said, what I really want to do is, is build ski resorts. And I said, I'm going to do some of this easier stuff first, I think. And, you know, he said, well, you can do whatever you want. And within a couple months, three months or so after that conversation, I actually started working on it. Uh, really started taking the plan seriously and 
and you know organizing my schooling and and my thoughts about my career around it. Did you make sketches of mountains with runs and chairlifts? Kind of like I used to do that with like golf courses when I was young. But did you do the same thing? Did you kind of sketch out mountains and lifts? Certainly would do that. We also would take like a sand hill or dirt mound or something. And we literally build me and my brother's functioning chairlift out of Legos. And you put the little, we put the little Lego people on it and they ride to the top and, and we, you know, had the rope on and all that. It it worked, you know, you put them on there and to the top, they would go and and just, you know, goofy stuff, put your skis on and go flying down the stairs (laughs) in the house. I mean, just, yeah, loved it. That's really fun stuff. At some point, though, things started to come together. I know that your first opportunity came maybe even earlier than you had thought, but how did that first opportunity come to be to get you into the business? You know, I had a goal of having my first resort by 35, and about two-thirds of the way through my undergrad, I literally changed my plan on how I was going to get there. You know, I thought I'd, I'd finish my degree and then I moved to the mountains and and start working my way up in the business, and and then you know become a CEO GM of a top resort and then attract capital to go do my own resort. And I thought, boy, that's harder than being a rock star to to follow that that path. You know, there's not that that many top resorts and that many people have those positions. And and so I thought, you know, a way to accomplish my goal faster would be to buy my way in. And so. I restructured how I was doing things and learned how to make money and had that more of my focus. And I got my first resort at 33. So beat it by about two years. And I definitely wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I've been studying and reading and and preparing as best I could. But it definitely, definitely kicked my butt quite a bit starting on. <laughs> what was that first resort? A little hill called Sipapu, New Mexico. I had skied there as a kid, and we used to ride our motorcycles around there a lot. There's great, great trails around there. And that's the closest place to slopeside lodging to most of Texas. And I was introduced to me when I was 31, and I was just going to be a minor partner in it, just kind of get my feet wet and help me get prepared, more prepared for when I was you know, 35. And a little while into it, I, the guy who was taking lead on it, I was like, he can't do this. He can't make this happen. And so I eventually took lead on it myself and closed on it about a year later. And the rest is history. <laughs> no, when, when you say you got your butt kicked at, at first, sometimes that can be pretty valuable if you know how to take advantage of the opportunity. It really was. You know, it's challenging to run a really small resort and try to get it to grow versus coming into a larger one with a full staff and you know professionals in each department and all those kinds of things. Not saying a large resort is easy. I'm just saying comparatively, in a lot of ways, it was harder kind of having to do everything yourself and with just a few other people, you know, really having to figure everything out. It, it definitely was challenging. And then we had some droughts early on and you know, that made it, that made it extra challenging. And it was, it was pretty daunting. We started building lifts right away. You know, I'm very aggressive with those kinds of things. As I mentioned to you earlier and during the, the first COVID year, everybody was canceling the lift projects. 
And not only did we not cancel our main project, but we added another one and we're the largest lift builder in the world, I believe, that year. And so we can be pretty aggressive. And I was right away. And combining that with drought and some other challenges, yeah, it, it was a rough couple of years. And it wasn't, I didn't really feel like I totally got my arms around it until about year six. And did you, when was the second resort that you picked up? Well, so it's kind of funny. So after after six years, we felt like we had it. And, and the interesting part is year six was a, like the worst drought ever. And that's part of how I knew we had figured it out is we had a successful season, even with the worst drought there ever. So we started looking at buying, resort, buying more resorts. And we were just kind of looking at one at a time. We didn't want to go too fast. And this went on for years without, without getting a new resort. And then finally in 2014, things started to come together. And boy, there's, there's a lot I could tell on that, on that story. But simplistically, we were having a company retreat down in Arizona. So this was in May of 14. And there's some really fun stuff kind of leading up to it. And we're working on the snowball contract. We get in our contract on a Tuesday. And so in my mind, we get a contract. That's our next resort. The next day on Wednesday, we go to Los Alamos. The club that was running Parito votes was voting that night on whether to turn Parito over to us. They voted 93 to 7% for us to take it over. So we now have three. And then we go back to Durango. And the next day, Gary Dirt calls me and says they're putting purgatory on the market. And he had told me when that happened, I'd be the first one he called. And he calls me and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We went from one to three in two days and now our hometown mountain, I was already living in Durango and it's the second second place I ever skied. So, so quite a fondness for purgatory comes available. I'm like, wow. And then we had that in our contract later that year. And so we yeah, went from one to four basically in, in one year. <laughs> you know, that was an interesting time for the ski industry. Vail Resorts and Altera as well, just kind of starting up. Uh, they're kind of the big boys getting these different resorts. But all of a sudden, you're starting to become a little bit of a player here. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty, still pretty small to them. I think in terms of skier visits, we're like the fifth largest group uh, in the country. And in terms of total ski, uh, ski resort count, we're maybe the third, I think is where we are. So. You know, we're just having fun, putting cool things together and, and bringing joy and happiness to others. And as long as we can keep doing that and we have a good time doing that, then then we'll keep batting. Well, a lot of us were really happy to see you move into our state of Utah. You now own uh, two resorts in the state, which is actually unusual in and of itself, Nordic Valley and also Brian Head. How did, how did uh, the move into Utah come about? You know, it's kind of interesting. I wanted to move into Utah. And I probably knocked on the door of just about every ski resort there. And, you know, I wanted to make an entrance buying a larger resort was my plan. And pretty much nobody would sell. There were some deals going on where they would might say they weren't, wouldn't, weren't going to sell, but they were already working backdoor with Vail or Altera, those kinds of things. And just so that kind of blew me off. And, and so I kind of was going down the list and, and the first thing that I could get that, that uh, made sense was Nordic. And uh, I said, okay, well, we'll take a little resort and turn it into a big one. And that's what we'll do. If none of the larger ones want to sell to us, then we'll take that approach. And that is something we do you know, quite a bit, save smaller ski resorts. But that hadn't been my original plan on Utah was to go that route. It, it had been to make a good, you know, kind of a bigger splash and then, and then maybe start buying some smaller ones. So. 
And then Brian Head? Yeah, and then Brian Head. Then we started looking for a, for another one. That we were kind of on a, a national hunt that year for certain resorts we were targeting. And that was the one that, that came up that year that, that made the most sense. You know, we try to just buy about one resort a year, which is funny because the last 12 months, I think we've done about four. So we've done four in about 12 months. And, and so, yeah, we were, we were out looking and that was 2020 also that we closed on that, which not a lot of people are closing on ski resorts uh, in 2020 with everything going on, but we went ahead and completed that transaction and that was a huge success. It made a, made a ton of sense and we did very well right off the bat with it. Both Brian Head and Nordic Valley are resorts in Utah that actually go all the way back to the 60s. They each have some great history. Can you tell us a little bit more about each resort, what it represents in the market today, and maybe some of the thoughts you have on where these resorts could go over the next decade? Well, in Nordic, we have some pretty big plans uh, for, which have been, has been challenging. When we first started working on it, we thought those plans might proceed quickly and and then some extenuating circumstances brought those larger plans to a temporary close, I uh, might say. But we haven't given up on those and we'll, we'll work on those in the future. But right now we've been focused on working on the land that we currently uh, own. And we put that high speed six pack in there and started to build, build a number of trails. And it was kind of like that over in that pod was pretty much starting a ski resort from scratch, really. There was no infrastructure over there whatsoever, no, no electricity, no trails. And uh, in just one summer uh, there of 2020, we built all that and put the lift in. And it's really a fun, fun pod over there. And we've kind of built it almost like an East Coast style, you know, narrow, little narrower trails and just kind of a different experience and trying to do exactly what everybody else has done. They're just trying to do something a little different. It's kind of almost like Sibapu in New Mexico is kind of like an East Coast version of skiing in the West. So get that East Coast experience with Western powder. Uh, it's pretty fun. I actually really enjoy it. Find it, find that mountain inter- very entertaining. And then Brian Head, yeah, we got big plans for for it. Uh, there's been some of that stuff's been announced and we're working on really making it a substantial resort and fully taking advantage of the Las Vegas market there. And then, and also, you know, the cities around there are growing pretty rapidly, Cedar City and, and St. George. And then also I think the Southern end of the Salt Lake Metro, Provo and those areas and all that, I think it's a real opportunity because you can drive down there, you know, really not that far from those places and have a nice weekend and a different experience and not be so crowded, you know, what you're dealing with, with there and in the main part of the Wasatch. And if you like buyer, if you live in that area and buyer season passes, you can run up to, to Nordic. It's not too crowded most of the time. Get a day, day skiing in and then come down to to Brian Heads. So I think the combination of the two is pretty powerful. It's going to continue to grow. So we're very excited about it. It has been interesting to, to look at that market and see what's happening down there. St. George, of course, is bursting at the seams right now. So that market is growing for you. But, you know, the point that you made about people from particularly the southern end of the Salt Lake Valley, it's only a few hours down there. So it's, it's not bad at all. And you're a little bit higher elevation. You've got great snow down there. Actually, Brian Head, I believe Brian Head was the, was one the first, of the first to open, the first open last year. year. Yeah, November, yeah. November 4th. Yeah. This year, we're going to open on Friday and two days, the 17th of November. And I think we'll probably be tied with a couple of the resorts for that opening day. That's awesome. You had mentioned that in the last year or so, you've also had, 
I think you said four more acquisitions. Do you want to run through those? And I want to, one of them is just spectacular, but why don't you give us a little rundown on those four? I'm, I'm really excited about them all for various reasons, but Willamette Pass in uh, Oregon between Eugene and Bend. We're very, very excited about that. That was about a year ago. And then the next one was Valle Nevado in March of this year. And then Lee Canyon in June of this year. And then we just, in Lee Canyon, Valle Nevado in Chile and Lee Canyon outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. And then Sandia Peak outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico was what we just, just announced a couple of weeks ago. Sweet. I, I when we talked earlier this spring on a different story, you 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 spoke about some of your vision points for Valley Nevada in in Chile, and I, I was just down there not for skiing, sadly, but for the Pan American Games. But it's pretty easy to get down there. It really and is. And a flight, those flights north south, mm-hmm. they're a lot better than those flights east west. Oh, yeah. But you've got big plans for what you could do for the sport in South America. There. Yeah, I call it um, going down there. I call it. Uh, going to Europe without the jet lag, you know, the, the cities there feel more European, the, the above tree line, you know, feels more European. And, and so it's an awesome experience, great wine, great food, climate's awesome. And, and so, yeah, it is pretty easy. You just fly overnight and you get to ski all day when you get there and you get to ski all day your last day because you fly home at night again. So you kind of get an extra day without the lodging. So it's pretty convenient that way. And I find it pretty, pretty easy to do easier in travel in East West. Like you said, or even, we're going to talk going about the your... way to like New York or Hawaii, even East West, even in our own country, in a lot of ways, it's easier. And you get to the airport and you can be up the mountain in an hour, and a half, two on the road. Or if you want, you can take a hilly up there and be there quick. But yeah, big plans for it, for sure. Well, that's really pretty cool. We're going to talk about your past products and how people can get down there, but just a couple of quick things before we take a quick show break. But are you able to get over to Utah quite a bit to ski? Are we going to see you on the slopes at Brian Head in Nordic Valley this year? You know, it depends on the year how much I get over there. So, you know, often when you've got a lot of new acquisitions, you've got to spend some time, you know, additional time at those properties, you know, incorporating them into our systems and into the broader collective and and also just learning learning how those rewards sorts operate so you can uh, be as helpful as possible so you know this last year didn't get there near as much as i had hoped to i did spend a bit of time last year at the beginning of the season at brian head it was so good <laughs> there in uh, early november skiing powder in early november but yeah it just depends on the year I'm, I'm certainly hoping to get up there more this winter Good. We'd love to have you. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the philosophy behind this amazing company with James Coleman. We'll be right back on Last Chair. One of the great aspects of skiing and riding in Park City is the vast array of vacation rental opportunities from intimate slope-style inns to comfy rentals just steps from historic Main Street. This season, experience Park City's winter wonderland with Cooper Wynn Property Management, your ideal stop to find that home away from home, everything from studios to four-bedroom rentals and much more. Cooper Wynn offers a distinctive collection of Park City vacation rentals, and many are close to the Park City free bus system so you can avoid renting a car. You have a lot of choices today, but as a Park City local myself, 
I know the value that long-term knowledge brings. And that's Cooper Wynn. It is dumping snow in Utah right now, and that's a great time to start planning your vacation out here to ski or ride. Check out discounts available from Cooper Wynn at PCLodge.com. That's PCLodge.com. Cooper Wynn, your home away from home in Park City. And we're back on last year with James Coleman. And James, we talked a little bit before the break about Valley Novato, and it's just such a spectacular addition to your portfolio. And I know there's a lot of Utah skiers who are going to be going to Bryan Head. They're going to be going to Nordic Valley this year, and they're going to have an opportunity now to go down to Valley Nevada. What You have an amazing amount of land that you can potentially access there. Give us a sense of your vision and, and what that ski resort could be in a few years? Yeah, the acreage is incredible. We have 23,000 acres to work there and only about 10% of it's currently developed. And our hill of skiing there, we have over 200,000 acres of hill of skiing right next door. So it's it's a pretty amazing combination. And then what, and what also is really cool is the vertical that we potentially can have there. We can have in the neighborhood of 10,000 feet the top of the mountain is almost 18,000 feet. It's really wild. It has hanging glaciers on it and, and just an incredible mountain. The plan is to really make it a bucket list resort, you know, a place you just have to go to at least once in your lifetime. And then hopefully once you go, you want to keep going back. But, you know, everybody has their, you know, okay, I got to go hill of skiing in British Columbia and go to, you know, Japan in January and those kinds of things. And we want to make uh, going to Valle, one of those, you like, I have to do this kind of places. And so that's our plan. So we, we're, we've got an ambitious plan there and, and our plan to be aggressive, aggressive about it and start building lifts here soon and, and really expand it. How far are you there from the airport in Santiago? Yeah, you could get there in, you know, an hour and a half to two hours, you know, if the weather's decent. Yeah, it's that's what amazed me, just sitting in Santiago, looking out there. I mean, you can see the mountains right from downtown Santiago. It's really right there. So, uh, folks, if you're if you've ever entertained, or even if you haven't entertained going to South America, now you're going to have a great opportunity at uh, Valley Nevado. Uh, James, one of the things that's really attracted me to your organization is the company philosophy that you have. And I know that it's born out of the feelings that you had for the sport when you got involved as a young man, but talk about the philosophy that you have, the freedom to ski and uh, how you push that message throughout all of your resorts. Yeah, we are definitely a skiing first company, you know, not real estate first. It's not that real estate's not important, but we are, you know, without a doubt, skiing first. We're, we're always looking at how we can improve the skiing, make things better, make the ski resort as many things to as many people as possible. You know, skiing is different than a lot, a lot of other activities where, you know, you can have beginners to experts all going together in a group of friends or a family and really trying to make that a great experience for, for all those folks. You know, I, my, I myself ski, you know, very d- difficult, challenging terrain. That's part of what I love about it. But I also remember what it was like to, be a kid from Texas who didn't really know how to ski. And, and I keep that in my mind when we're developing ski resorts, I really try to think about all the different customers that we're, that are going to be coming to our mountain and how do we provide a great experience for all of them? It's very, very important to, to us. So yeah, skiing first. <laughs> you promote the message, the freedom to ski. 
how do you push that message down to your resorts and to your employees so they can all speak that same message of the freedom of the sport? Yeah, it really is a, a broad frame of mind that we have with that for making it easy for people to enjoy the sport and start out. So we have 12 and under uh, that ski free and try to make those barriers for children to start to learn very low. Free lessons at most of our resorts have have variable pricing with very affordable lift tickets uh, much of the time. And then, and then how we run the mountains, trying to open them early each year, try to stay open late so they have a long season. So people are getting really good value for their, for their, you know, when they buy a season pass and have lots of opportunities to ski as much of the year as possible. You know, not everybody can afford to go down to South America and ski year round. And, and so making it to where that season is you know, extended a couple of weeks in the front end, a couple of weeks in the back end, sometimes longer really can be important to people, giving them those opportunities. There's not always a lot of money you make by being open late, for example, but it's not just about that. It's about bringing this joy and and happiness that we experience to as many people as possible. It's it's very rewarding. I mean, I I actually would ski more if I wasn't in the ski business. I could just go ski and have fun, but it's super rewarding to be able to bring this experience to as many people as possible. I want to go back to the Power Kids Pass program. We've seen many third, fourth, fifth grade passport programs and all sorts of different incentives that allow kids to get out there and ski free. But you've really doubled down on this. You know, you're offering all kids under 12 the opportunity to get a pass and ski free. This has to be just a, a, a life-changing experience for families with kids to get them on snow. Yeah, and there's no strings attached. You don't, parent doesn't have to buy a season pass. Parent doesn't have to rent a condo, nothing. Just here you go, 12 and under free. And yeah, it, 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 it really is. I mean, it's, you know, most of those folks, most of the folks listening, listen to this program know how incredible it is. And so to introduce as many kids to that sport and create a lifetime positive activity for them to do that's both fun and healthy. Yeah, well, how can you beat that? And how long have you had that pass program in place? Oh boy, we started at the twelve and under. I want to say it was about five years ago. You know, a lot, of, a lot of resorts have four, four and under, five and under, six and under, seven and under. We basically got kind of all of ours to make sure they were at least at seven under, and then we kind of started working it up to eight, nine, ten, and then we jumped from ten to twelve, and so we kind of worked our way into that and. And so I think we've been at 12 for at least four years, maybe five. So you've been able to watch kids come through this program and stay in the sport and continue to come back as they get into their teens, probably. Yeah. And we also really try to keep it affordable for teens and for young adults also, you know, not just college kids, but, you know, a lot of of resorts have a college pass or whatever. We try to keep it affordable for any young adult, you know, because people starting out, it's a challenge in life. So yeah, just try to make it easy for them to be able to stay in the sport. For those of us who are kids at heart, but adults now, what are the past opportunities to explore multiple resorts in in your portfolio? Yeah, so our premier pass is called the Power Pass. And then we have different levels below that, the Power Pass Select and Power Pass Base and and some different products. And so, so, yeah, if you have that Power Pass, you're, you're unlimited at all our resorts. 
plus a few others that have, have uh, joined our pass. They have some days at those resorts too, you know, all over the Southwest. And then, and then as we expand into uh, other parts of the country and, and uh, down South America, you have those opportunities also. So it's a pretty solid product, especially, you know, if you live in the Southwest. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch past programs over the last years. Obviously, Epic and Icon are kind of the anchors of the thing, but some of the smaller independent resorts have have really developed some amazing past programs. Do you have other partnerships outside of your resorts? Do you have some other partnerships included in Power Pass, or is it just your Mountain Capital Partners resorts? Yeah, there are, there are a few other resorts. You know, there there was a time where we had a lot of resorts where we really have narrowed that down. So Sundance there is a partner with us to get three days there as part of our pass. We really have narrowed it down, but there are some additional ones. So when you get out to your resorts, I know you like to go out and ski, but what are other things that you do when you're out and about at the resort? Are there certain areas of the operation you like to gravitate towards? I love building trails. I really think that's super cool. So I get my chainsaw out and help cut trees and, and, move wood and you know drive dozers and other equipment at certain times. I'm going to do that as much as I used to, but yeah, I really do, do enjoy doing that. Also love making snow. I think that's a really neat thing um, and, and improving the snowmaking and building more of that infrastructure and building lifts is obviously always excited, exciting if you can be involved in those projects. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of the, the fundamentals of ski resorts and what makes them different than other other activities. And so, yeah, getting involved in that is, is where my heart is. Just to kind of close it up before we get to our final fresh track section, where I have a few little Q and A's for you, but as you look back now at your career in the, in the ski business, you've brought a enlightening philosophy to it. You've been able to acquire a number of resorts. What's the most gratifying thing to you though? And you look at your role and you look back at what you've done. What do you feel in your heart that really says, Hey, I'm really proud that I've done this. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because getting into the ski business was the selfish desires of a teenager. It's just something I was very excited about very quickly. As I got into the, into the business, I realized just how much bigger it is than me. And, and not even just the, the people skiing at your resort, but the the whole communities that surround them and how important it is and providing jobs and and just other ways that you support the community, being a community center and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, I really do love helping other people. And I think that that you you know, realizing that pretty early on and seeing how that that works has been part of our interest in and continuing to expand this to other places. You have your ski resort outside of your town and you have your dreams about how it could be better and what you would do differently. And, and we really try to give that to people. Like, it's, like I said earlier, like thinking about what they would want. What would they like this resort to be like? And so we really do try to think about those things and make those things happen. And I've literally had times where people come up to me crying because we've done that. We've, we've made the resort what they hoped it would be. And so that's just super rewarding. You know, it's, yeah, you go ski and you get, get a brain full of thrills and it's super fun and cool. And you spend time with your, your friends and having a good time and all that. But, you know, some of these moments like that are just way longer lasting, you know, in your mind 
when you have that positive effect on other people, and, and in this case, we now gets now gets to be hundreds of thousands of other people. So it's it's pretty rewarding. Well, you're making a big impact, James, and we thank you for that. We're going to close it out with a section we call Fresh Tracks. I've got, I don't know, about a half dozen short Q&A questions for you. First one, and, and I know that some of these are going to put you on the spot, but what was your favorite experience this past summer in Valle Nevado? <laughs> Hella skiing on my birthday. Nice. Well, what, when's your birthday? It's in September, so... You know, you don't usually get to do that in September. So that's beautiful. It was pretty, pretty magical. And I had a bunch of other friends down there and we just had a great time. I mean, it was it was super cool. Beautiful. How about your favorite ski run in Utah? That's one that that I built called Old Oh Shoot there there at Nordic Valley. It's a real technical trees and ravine and and not everybody likes it like I do because it's you take people in there and it's hard. You know, it's very challenging. You don't often get to decide where you're going to turn. You got to turn when you have to turn. So I actually find that really fun. And then I have a sentimental one. I built this big beginner trail there called Lolly, 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 which is my uh, mom's nickname from her grandchildren. And, and so that, that's a kind of a sentimental favorite. Cool. How about your favorite personal fun activity outside of skiing? So does the chainsawing, is that outside of skiing or? <laughs> that will, no, but that will come up later. <laughs> you know, I do, I do love spending time with friends and family, but in terms of fun activities, I, I love riding four wheelers on in sand dunes. I think that's just a super fun activity. I've got this old Banshee, they don't build them anymore in the States. I got this old Banshee that's just super hot rod and and it's really fun to go in the sand dunes. It kind of mimics skiing in some ways, the feel of it. So it really does. I'm a Jeep guy, so I don't I don't do the dune buggies or the side by sides. But I love going down sandy trails with a Jeep. You can just kind of float those front wheels left and right, and they just kind of keep going straight. Love it. Did you have a favorite role model? Who was your biggest role model when you were growing up as a young boy? My my parents, my mom, my mom and dad were just super influential and in my life and and super motivating and and really just was lucky to have both of them and and you know they that they had they had you know different gifts and I got a great blend of their gifts and it's just really been super helpful in my life last one and I know this is always tough for people but if you had to describe what skiing means to you in just one word. And I'm going to guess you're going to get this quick. One word. What does skiing mean to you? My, I wouldn't be surprised if our talk, you could, you could guess it, but I'd say freedom. Love it. James Coleman, it is a delight to talk to you. We appreciate all you've brought to skiing and so glad that you're uh, the owner of two resorts in Utah. We'll see you this winter. All right. Thanks, Tom. Hope to see you too. Thanks to James Coleman. I just love his passion for ski areas and happy that he's got a good foothold here in Utah with both Brian Head and Nordic Valley. By the way, did you catch the deal for kids 12 and under? They all ski free. Check it out at Brian Head or Nordic Valley this winter and think about the power pass and the fun that you can have across the network of resorts and even down at Valley Nevada next summer. Before we go, let me clue you in on a very special Utah secret. If you're trying to find a base location for your adventure to Park City this winter, check out Park City Peaks Hotel. 
Let's start with location, offering easy bus or shuttle access to the resorts and a host of cool local restaurants and walking distance. Park City Peaks has a mid-century design aesthetic to provide an at-home vibe as an independent modern mountain hotel. The centerpiece of Park City Peaks is the Versante Hearth and Bar, known for handcrafted wood-fired pizzas and street breads, pastas, and much more. I consider it to be one of Park City's best hotel bars, blending locals and visitors together. Breakfast buffet, complimentary yoga every Thursday, hot cocoa and cookies every afternoon, hot tubs, ice skating, the list goes on. Make Park City Peaks your choice this winter. Check it out at parkcitypeaks.com. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. If you like the Last Chair podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. If you haven't been following this season, make sure to check back on our episode with Woodward leader Chris Gunny Gunnarsson and also a really insightful interview with Ski Utah Athlete Ambassador Alex Schlopey. To close us out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Party Grass Boys. Watch for them on tour this winter and stay tuned for some new music coming out soon. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski here in Utah.